What's up, everybody? Welcome back to UFC Roundup. We're going to discuss UFC 283 that happened this weekend. As you can see, me and Michael Kies are not in person this oh, time. It's fun so good it, it while it lasted. It was there's amazing. No, there's no breakfast sandwiches on tap uh, today. I've got an empty can of soda. That's about all I have to offer the audience. But we did have a huge 15-fight pay-per-view 283 in Rio De, De Janeiro, sorry, John kept getting on me this weekend. De Janeiro, um, you know, I was a little worried. Long trip to Brazil, haven't been back there in years. I had a great time, man. I was on the beach every day. I was running along the beach. I was swimming in the ocean. The sun was shining. The people were great. The food was great. The beef there is delicious, and the fights delivered. And let's get right into it. Let's talk the main event. We have a new UFC light heavyweight champion, Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. I got to hang out with him and the team a lot leading up to that fight. I got to see him and Glover, kind of how they're handling the week, Michael. Both guys were extremely confident going into that fight, and it showed. They both delivered. Let me just say, Glover Teixeira is probably one of the toughest human beings I've ever seen perform inside of that octagon, and thank him for everything that he has ever done. He retired that night, and Jamal Hill just was on point. You could tell he knew he had the power, and I think what surprised everybody was the fact that he had the grappling to get back out of those bad positions, which Glover was able to put him in. Did that surprise you all? When the fight hit the ground, particularly in the fifth round, when it looked like the fight was almost over, it looked like Jamal Hill was going to put Glover away. Glover did what he does best, fought through it, toughed it out, got the fight to the mat, got mount for a second. Jamal Hill reversed, came back out, got up to a single leg and got out of there. Yeah, it's crazy that Jamal was able to get out of that position because I thought we were seeing another round five Hail Mary play out before our yeah. eyes, much like Usman versus Leon Edwards. Um, but yeah, that was what impressed me the most about Jamal Hill is how not only how he was able to defend the takedowns, but it was the get-ups off bottom. I, I thought when Glover had him down in round five, if he didn't pass, I thought he would have a better chance because Jamal showed in this fight, he understands how to essentially like, use his body to take away Glover's base and use that to get up on his feet. And once Glover took him out, he was able to kind of sneak out of there, get back to his feet. And, and the biggest thing that impressed me with Jamal Hill was he, there's a lot of pressure that comes with fighting in a title fight. I can't imagine I've never been there, but obviously I had a close friend of mine, Juliana Pena, who's been in those title fights. And she talks a lot about what comes with it, the media obligations, the pressure. And for Jamal, you add that, you add the fact that he's going into enemy territory. He's going mm -hmm. into Brazil to fight one of their, you know, one of their most favorite champions, the Glover Teixeira. He took it all in and he took it in stride. And the way he fought and the improvements he showed, I mean, there is so much you can do with this guy. I will admit there's been a few times where Jamal's had some matchups where I have doubted him. And it's not because of skills. It's just because of how young he is in the game. And he has jumped up into tougher competition early on. I mean, this was his, what, eighth or ninth UFC fight? And he's already fighting for a title. That's crazy. You know, the only guys we see do that are people like Alex Pajeda, who's someone I'm going to touch on next. But uh, just to see the improvements he's made in such a short amount of time, I I'm a believer now. There there's not a man at light heavyweight that I don't think Jamal Hill can't be. I think that he can beat anybody at 205 pounds. Um, and I'm excited to see what's next for him. There's so many things you can do with this guy. There's a lot of storylines you could – Obviously, Yuri Prohaska is waiting in the wings. Um, you know, you got guys like Akulab, Jan Blachowicz, Anthony Smith. There's a storyline there, Paul. I mean, there's so much you can do with our new light heavyweight champion. Yeah, there is a lot, man. And, you know, Jamal Hill is a guy 
who, like you said, still pretty young in his uh, UFC career, first contender series alum to go and win a UFC championship belt too. So shout out to everybody that's worked on the contender series that, you know, one of our guys got it and, and made it. It's pretty awesome to see it finally happen. Uh, and, you know, I think some credit's got to be given to Jamal for being a loyal student of the small gym in Michigan that he's from. I got to hang out with these guys and see how dedicated they are to him. And there's something to be said about that. That, that's, that takes guts, right, to not win a few fights and then be like, oh, I got to go do this or I got to go and, and go find a mega gym and have more training partners. So I, I think that was cool to see. And you saw the emotion. You saw how important that was. You saw him get on his knees and present uh, the belt to his coaches. And, you know, there was that week was not without some drama for Jamal Hill and things like that. And he, he worked through it all. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how what's going to happen next. And I think the next best bet for him and for the fans is Yuri Prohaska. If he's going to be oh, healthy, oh, yeah. timeline worked out. And we have oh, yeah. on, he, he's opening up as a favorite Jamal Hill. Um, I, and I think that's because of that performance that he just put on against somebody like Glover Teixeira, who almost won that fight with Yuri Prohaska and then slipped up in the fifth round with like 30, 40 seconds left to go. So we'll see how that pans out. But it was just an amazing weekend to see that all happen in front of me, to see a, a young man work his butt off with a small team behind him. And like you said, there's lots of storylines that work out for him. So he could hold that belt for a while. There's the, the guys right at the tippy top are guys that I think he definitely matches up very well against. Yeah, and this is when I said I'm going to touch on Alex Pajeda, but before I dive into him. Yeah, you, you saw them I staring did. at each other, yeah? Yeah, I saw them definitely staring at each other, but this is the first fight to make, given that Yuri Prohaska, you know, he vacated the title because of the shoulder injury, which is the right thing to do. I mean, he's got a long recovery ahead of him. Why logjam the division? And plus, that makes for an even bigger fight when he heals up and gets back in there. And that gives us enough time to have Alex Pajeda potentially fight Israel Adesanya for the fourth mm -hmm. time. I mean, I know this is... They, you know, they had their two kickboxing match, two UFC fights. So it's a quadrilogy, a tetralogy, whatever you want to call it. Whatever, whatever you want to call it, you know, the fourth fight. Or if there's someone else that want to put Pajeda in with next. Either way, it gives him time to defend his title. And if he wins and if Jamal wins, there is no better fight. Especially if Jamal Hill beats Yuri Prohaska and, and, you know, he avenges that loss of Glover's. You know Pajeda's going to want to jump in there and right his wrong. And what a storyline that would be. I mean, that's one of the favorite. That's For mixed martial arts fans, we, we get the best of the best. We always get to see the best guys fight the best guys. That's the beauty in this sport. But when yeah. you can add a big storyline to it, when it works out that way, when the MMA gods bless us with those types of things, it makes those fights very special. So I could see, hopefully, if the MMA gods deliver, Let's see Jamal defend his title and win. Let's see Pajeda defend his title and win. And let's see the end of the year, 2023, last pay-per-view, Pajeda versus Jamal Hill. I called it, Paul, right here on it. UFC Roundup. You heard it here. You heard it here. <laughs> it, I mean, the writing is on the wall. There's no yeah, doubt about sure. it. Uh, the, the way that all worked out in the cage, the way Glover was talking about uh, Alex in the cage and how he's going to focus on him and Jamal Hill, the young new champion is there. Oh, they yeah. got to meet each other and shake hands. And obviously you see the size of Alex Pareda. So oh, he's, a he's a massive monster. human being. He's so he big. Easily, easily fight two or five. Yeah. Um, and speaking what of fight Glover, that would be though, Paul, I mean, I mean, just yeah. even the storyline's great, but the fight, like, dude, you want to talk about like, 
pure kickboxing versus like MMA striking. Like I feel like Jamal is a phenomenal MMA striker. You look at his yeah. base, his legs, wide stance, power in both hands, somewhat unconventional techniques that actually fit into, you know, the MMA repertoire of skills yeah. you need to have success. And then you got Pajeda, two-time glory kickboxing champion with that yeah. Brazilian style of kickboxing. I mean, it would be tremendous. And I think that even Jamal Hill's um, striking, Muay Thai striking for MMA is a bit even underrated. I mean, the left kick, the way he worked that on the fly, apparently that was somewhat part of the game plan to help him kind of switch into his southpaw stance to put something out there to kind of distract Glover like a big kick. I think it ended up working out even better than he anticipated, but he landed some good knees too in the clinch that split open Glover's eyebrows. And we got to talk Glover too because, I mean, he was just – a dog that entire fight and he hung it up he decided that the, on that fight to fight there in his home of brazil he has won the belt at i think 42 when he won the belt had this fight at 43 still looked like he's got it but i think his family i think glover and, and his coaches just don't want to see him go through those kind of fights anymore at 43 years old that's a lot of punishment to take and when we talk about Glover's legacy, for me, man, I will just always think of him as that guy that never quit, that never got bogged down by losses and disappointments. Anytime he lost one or two, he always came back stronger. And to every young fighter out there, if you're going to have somebody as a role model and look to somebody, please, for God's sake, look at that man. Because as he got older, he learned how to adapt his style to that, to take care of himself, to take care of his body more. And he still was able to go out there and perform with the young guys and look better than ever. So I'll think of him as just a guy that really showed the world what toughness can do, what determination and hard work. I mean, he's not the most naturally just unbelievably gifted human being in the world. He just works his ass off and he became champion of, world, of the world because of it. Yeah, he's extremely resilient. I mean, you talk a lot about the crazy fights that he's been in, but like this is a guy, it took so long for him to even get to the United States because of the visa issues. It took a lot of resiliency for him to stay the course and not give up on his dreams because he didn't get into the UFC until he was like ha like what we perceive to be his prime, which obviously his prime ended up being a lot more extended than the average fighter. But I mean, he didn't get to the UFC till he was 32, 33 years old, Paul. Yeah. I mean, put that in perspective for you guys. I was 24. You got guys like Raul Rosas who are 18, 19 18, years old. Imagine yeah. not getting to the big show until you're 32 years old and you end up fighting for the title four times. I mean, and Paul, you were there octagon side, you know, and it was, you know, I'm in the ESPN studio, so we're all kind of talking. And, and uh, John Hackleman really told him to put the towel down in round five like did he not say i guess somebody had said like he just told hackleman to not throw the towel in so he could go out and fight round five did that really happen yeah hackleman i mean wow we could see him because he wasn't in the chief spot right he's he's there still as just kind of a, a support and somebody that's been with glover for so long glover has to have him there like they have such a bond with each other but he took a back seat and he just kept saying, can we stop this? Like, you know, should we, like he wanted to, to maybe end the fight going into the fifth round and man. Yeah. You just saw Glover was just not having it. He wanted to go out there and finish that damn fight, but he, it was considered, it was something that was discussed. And I think Crazy. it could have been, but in hindsight, you know, I'm glad that he got to, to finish that fight, go out like a G, and I'm glad that – well, I think, you know, a lot of us are worried that even if 
he doesn't win that fight, that he's not going to retire and that there's more of these to come. But he must have known, listen, just let me get through this one. This is it. You know what I mean? Let me try one more time. I think even if he goes out there in that fifth and he wins that belt and submits Jamal, I think he still puts those gloves in the center of the cage and walks out there after that moment. Well, I think that if he... I think that if he beat Jamal Hill like he beat Jan Blahovich, we'd see him fight again. I think yes. if, he could just, yeah. if he could get you know pretty, pretty effortless takedowns and get a yeah. smooth submission and not take any damage, I think we'd see him fight again. But I think just maybe there was discussions with this team like, hey, if this guy takes me in the trenches, or you know, if I get finished, you know, because Glover seems to be a guy that's pretty grounded. You know, he you can tell that he's not, uh, he's very he's he's a realist with his situation with his age where he's at. Um, always positive, but I'm sure he's very honest with himself. Um, but yeah, I think that he just knew that if this is going to be a tough fight, then this is the last fight. Even if he won, you know, I think that they would, his, his family, his team would be like, yeah. I mean, if you, if you fans haven't seen the picture of him after the fight, I mean, he had to have had at least probably 30 stitches in his face. The bare oh, man, dude. But the cut, I, I don't remember which one it was over, it was but it was split multiple was directions hanging in his eye. Like he probably yeah. broke his nose. Like he's, He's for sure, so did Jamal Hill. So yeah, did Jamal yeah. Hill and that's cool for you that you got to hang around with those guys and kind of see, you know, what it was like for Jamal headed into these moments. And, and you know, one's on his way up and it's going to do great things. And one leaves us with some great memories, some great fights. Yeah. Glover Teixeira, a, a, a tremendous champion. Enjoy yeah, your retirement. Or I did it wrong. I put my thumb up. It's this and this. The pit. There you go. I, I right. used to do that when I was an amateur and I wasn't even part of the team. I was just such a Liddell fan. I'd be like, yeah, the pit. Woohoo. <laughs> Old man throwing it back, dude. And that's that's just uh, I'm yeah. glad Glover got to have a one one more battle, get another bonus on your way out. Focus Real on life people. Rocky story, dude. We saw it right yeah. before our eyes. That that last fight was like Rocky won. Just like he just wanted to go the distance one more yeah. time, dude. What a guy. Yeah, and uh, it was an you know an honor to see him and call that fight. And same, and we'll talk about another legend in a little bit. But I think we got to get to the co-main event, which was a tetralogy is over. The tetralogy is over. I just think Brandon Moreno is one of those guys that just started to really. There we go. Moreno, Moreno, let's go, Brandon Moreno. What a stud. What well, you are not you are not the Brazilian crowd because if so, no. be, I'd be throwing beers at you right now. <laughs> is what, is what was happening. Let's go. Um, I, yeah, and you, Glover was not happy about that, and that's why he made sure that the crowd was not going to be throwing yeah. beers at uh, Jamal Hill on the way out. But listen, a great fight while it lasted, uh, yeah. not without its controversy, obviously, but that was a clean punch for anybody that maybe didn't see that for some reason and you're watching this. Uh, a knuckle, the the thumb knuckle. Let me see. I'm getting it. Went into the eye of Davison Figueredo, but that's it. That's legal. It was a closed fist, and then there was a swipe that looked like maybe that that had gotten in the eyes. It didn't, and uh, you know the judges officially had it two one. You know people were getting on me in DC because we thought maybe it was three zero. And listen, I I don't know. I haven't rewatched it, but you guys got to realize we're calling fifteen freaking fights. Okay. We're doing. And it was late at night too, wasn't it's, it? It's, it's the main card started at midnight in in Rio. Yeah, it, fifteen fights. So we're, you know what I mean? Like one round maybe gets away where we didn't score properly. Like, come on, kiss my ass for all you guys that are giving us crap about that. It's a lot of calling fights. It's a lot to keep in your head and still talk for eight hours, seven hours, whatever it is throughout the night. 
Um, either way, I thought Moreno just had the number that night. And I'm he talked a lot about his wrestling and using the grappling leading into that fight. And he did exactly that. He would use his boxing, close that distance. Uh, you know, Figueredo had the guillotine attempts, but he just it never seemed all that close. Moreno was able to work his way out. And uh, the end of an era here in flyweight and maybe the end of Davison Figueredo's career at flyweight says he can't do this weight cut anymore. And I'm kind of happy to hear that. He is a man who cuts a lot of weight. And you can tell even when he does it right, it's something that definitely takes an effect. It's a yeah. lot to do that. His, you know, you know how body, it was his body it looks like a roadmap. It's just covered in veins. He looks like Kevin Randleman's thigh. Like rest in peace to the legend. Yeah. Like his body is just veined out everywhere. Yeah, I. You know, it was a clean shot. And for the people that get on your guys's case, yeah, you try sitting octagon side, calling 14, 13 fights, headed into a co-main event, and trying to keep an accurate score while they're trying to narrate the fights for you fans yeah. at home, like. You should be ashamed of yourself. But, yeah. yeah, Moreno, man, there's there's something about his style when he matches up with Davidson Figueredo where the wrestling plays in so well because Moreno's such a volume guy. For every three, you'll get one of Davidson's one. And that one punch or that one strike is always going to be something big. So if you can get your opponent to miss with a big strike, it just opens up such a good opportunity for those wrestling entries. And Moreno really capitalized. That really kind of embodies that kind of game plan. And then the left hook, I mean, it was on point the whole fight, as long as the fight lasted. Like, the left hook kept landing, clean shot. I mean, it's almost like it's it's how you want to land a hook. Like, if you can punch and land without your gloves, with your knuckles, like if you can knuckle a guy with a hook, kind of like what Nate Diaz does, or the same way Moreno did with that thumb knuckle, it's something a lot of guys like to do, and I think it's effective. It really gives guys bad swelling around the eyes. and. Mm-hmm. Um, Either way, it's good to see this thing be laid to rest. Could we see it maybe at 135 pounds? I wouldn't be surprised if these guys clashing. And these guys are just destined to fight. The, the fights are always exciting. But either way, I'm glad we get a move on. It's been three years, uh, aside from the Kai Car france fight, it's been three years uh, of these four fights between these two gentlemen. And they've been a ton of fun. I've enjoyed watching all of them. But I'm ready to see some of, these, some of this new blood at flyweight get a shot at you know, fight for the title. Yeah, and I think it's good. It's good for Figueredo too if he moves up because it's a fresh start. You know, it's new guys, and I just feel like it's one of those cases where Figueredo might be able to beat almost every guy in that flyweight division, just not consistently beat Brandon Moreno. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that one guy. It's the styles make make fights interesting, and for some reason, the way that they match up, it just seems like there's the slightest edge in favor of Moreno. Other than you know, mm-hmm. obviously, Figueredo had his win. Um, but even that one, a lot of people would argue that possibly you could give that fight to Brandon Moreno and for Moreno, when we talk, what's next, I think it's pretty obvious. And it was pretty clear that night that, um, Pantoja is the one that, that wants this fight. Moreno just wishes he would have given him a, a little (laughs) bit of time to celebrate. Apparently it started very, uh, genuine and kind. And then he's like, all right, when, when do you want to fight? Like how, so I want to fight in a month. And listen, I'm glad that. Pantoja wants that fight. I think we all want that fight for him as well. But the champion and the UFC decide when the champion is going to be fighting next. You don't come in and tell the champion who just won, this is when we're fighting. I'd tell you to go, my ass. We can't say I'm the running. F word and the I'll S word through. on YouTube. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go drink a case of beer first. Then I'll decide when I want to fight you. So yeah. get back in line, son. 
Yeah, you know, poor poor Moreno. I mean, first you have the Kaikar France fight where Davidson is like already up in the octagon, like you and me were fighting in Brazil, like yeah, ASAP. Geez. Like, and then you get Pantoja, like these guys, maybe it's because Moreno has such a nice demeanor, you know. Like, obviously, he's a ferocious fighter, you know, he really flips the switch when he makes that walk. I would not guess that this guy has a you know his, his hobbies building Legos. I would think his hobbies <laughs> is like building coffins you know he's just he flips a, a crazy switch from being this happy-go-lucky guy to just a stone-cold killer so maybe that's why guys approach him after his fights but either way yeah i think pantoja is the guy and it's a, the unfortunate thing is this is another trilogy fight this is another fight that's kind of old news for moreno but he's 0-2 against pantoja so obviously as a competitor as a champion you know he wants to get one of those fights back from pantoja so I think yeah. that's the logical guy. And there's other guys making their way up. I think Manal Kopp wins another fight. He could be fighting whoever wins. Mix. That's fresh blood, man. Yeah. And that's a fun guy to watch fight, man. So a lot of exciting things at flyweight. Um, it's just unfortunate for Moreno. It's another trilogy, but it, it'll be fun for him because you know he's motivated to get one of those fights back from Pantoja. Yeah, exactly. That, that It's different. Whereas, you know, the, the fights with Figueredo were so close and there was some controversy, a draw and all this stuff. So it's like, oh my God. And these are long fights that they're going <laughs> yeah, through. Whereas at least with Pantoja, you know, you're talking back in the ultimate fighter, you're talking a unanimous decision. He's a while ago and he lost them. So he would definitely, he's a different beast nowadays. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be interesting because Pantoja wants it. Cause he knows he's had his number before. You're not fighting that same guy by any shape of the imagination. Um, but flyweight still on fire. Lots of contenders on the way up um, that still need to build to that. So I think Pantoja next. Give Moreno some time. And other storylines and things that were fun, obviously, <coughs> in this pay-per-view. Listen, Gilbert Burns called his shot, said that he was going to go out there, he was going to use his wrestling, and he was going to use his jujitsu. And damn, he did that. Um, I think you said it was... Uh, Hot knife through butter earlier. For sure. I mean, for Gilbert Burns, like you said, in the fighter meetings to come in and say, yeah, I've been working on my wrestling. I'm just going to take this guy down and sub him. It's like, and okay. that's, that's pretty yeah. confident. That's a bold statement. You know, it's Neil Magny. It took me five rounds. Yeah, It took me five rounds to beat him. And granted, it was a lopsided beating. Uh, it took, still took me five rounds. Uh, but for him to go in there, take him down, cut through his guard like a hot knife through butter. I mean, the misdirection passes. The, the the head and arm choke, you just know when Gilbert Burns latches onto your neck, when he latches onto an arm, he's got Jeez. a tremendous squeeze, a tremendous grip. And this is a guy where I feel like a lot of fighters have forgotten what with the beating heart of Gilbert Burns is jiu-jitsu. Like that is how yep. – that's what made Gilbert Burns Gilbert Burns. Like he's a multiple-time world champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. No, Gi and Nogi got third to ADCC, I believe, in 2017. I mean, you're just talking about a guy that is a ferocious grappler. And he's just fans know him as this guy with these with these hands. He's one of the more, I would say he's one of the more prolific knockout guys at 170 pounds. You know, you see what he did to Damian Maya, you know, he, he dropped uh, the champion, the former champion, Us uh, Kamar Usman. But for him to go back to his roots and just do it with with ease, it, it was yeah. very, very impressive. Yeah, it was, man. Um and I think things are interesting for him too. Obviously, he's calling for Colby, but you got Bilal who's out there calling for him. And yeah. I think I think welterweight again just showing itself is is so stacked, right? It's such yeah. a good division. Yeah, you can match. You got to give Bilal guys. something. This you got to yeah. give Bilal something. I mean, it's just yeah. I, I feel I feel for the guy, and I know he's your boy. And it's just like the second when you brought up like 
you know, he, he called out Colby and then he bring up the law. I just couldn't help but just like, you got to give the guy something. I mean, he's so four ranked wins in a row, you know, finishes Sean Brady, an undefeated prospect. You got to give the guy something. If it's not, yeah. I mean, Hamzat's going up, you know, Burns just got to win. Colby, you got to sweeten the pot with Colby. And I don't know if ultimate fighter is enough for him. He's just do Bilal. Superman's yeah, he's got to do something. Colby's got to do something, um, or, or or not. You get yeah, like you just match those two up, um, and, and see where the rest of you guys kind of uh, fall when you guys start getting matched up. I think Sean's matched up again. I don't know if that's official. It with, is. Uh, yeah, so that fight, we're waiting it's to see what, fight what you're is. getting next. Um, yeah, that's a weird fight too. I mean, it's gonna got, look- that that got moved, right? That fight got March, moved. Him in- March fourth. Yeah. So things are that's things a great are moving. Fight. Yeah, things Jeff, yeah, things are moving for sure. I think about Sean and Pajeda, and it just is going to remind me of like a pride fight or like some fight in Japan. <laughs> Sean is so, and I say this with all due respect, he beat me, but it's just such a small guy that's built like he's got like a turtle shell for a back. And you got Pajeda who looks like he's two class, two weight classes too low for the division he yeah. fights in. It's going to be a very interesting looking fight from an aesthetic standpoint. Well, and just and just style-wise too, right? I mean, Sean yeah. is very clean, compact, and moving like this. Pajeda does backflips, flying knees, all this. So, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty clear-cut, in my opinion, how that fight has to play out. Sean, yeah. Sean's got to close the distance, get in tight, try to get the fight to the ground, yeah. using ground and pound and submissions. It's and those Pajeda's, for sure. He's got to just be a maniac and try to keep the fight uh, <laughs> on the outside. Um, never know what you're going to get with that guy. No, no, you never know. And uh, Richie, what else are we talking about? Are we going with... Uh, we going. Show oh, we got yeah. Johnny Walker, man, does oh, yes. what Johnny Walker does, yeah. and he goes out there and very unorthodox style, and takes out the always dangerous Paul Craig. Paul Craig. Paul Craig, <laughs> man, he is so game. It's yeah. just he goes out and he lives by the sword. He dies by the sword. Is that type of fighter? He goes out. He tries to close the distance. Sometimes he gets caught from some of these more powerful strikers. And if the fight touches the ground for a second, he can definitely sub you, take your arm home. I mean, he beat he beat Ankaliyev and Jamal Hill on the on the same. You know, talk about two of the top light heavyweights in the world. Yeah. And then Jamal Hill goes and knocks out Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker goes and beats Paul Craig. Styles make these fights so interesting. And anytime Johnny Walker is in that damn cage, man, you've got to be careful. You can't let him get a clean shot. I don't care if his legs in the air. He could have both legs in the air, jump up, and be falling on his butt and punch you in the face, and he can knock you out. Uh, yeah, and it's just fitting that he's teammates with with uh, Michelle Pajeda. You know, they they actually train together, so very fitting duo. Uh, yeah, the, this is the thing that perplexed me about the Paul Craig fight. It's like he came out and tried to look like a clean striker. Like it's just like usually it's like he is almost instantaneously throwing himself at you, trying to latch on to you, pulling guard, trying to get the takedown. Like this fight, he's like he's throwing this nice like lead head kick and he's throwing the jab. And I'm like, that's not what you want to do against Johnny Walker. Like this is the this is the fight to not change your style because if you try to look, I feel like guys that really try to focus on looking clean against Johnny Walker are the guys that get finished. Like it's yeah. like you have to have something different than just clean crisp technical striking to take out of johnny walker because he's such a wild card and he just did when johnny walker fights at his best it's when he does weird stuff like you just yeah. look at like it was the justin let it fight right where he threw the kick and spun through on the spinning back fist. i think it was justin let it but it's just like these guys that try to look clean are the ones that get knocked out so you know paul craig 
You know, he should have should have pulled guard. He should have just grabbed him and just went right to your back. And it's interesting because, you know, we talked to Paul um, and that was one of the things he talked about was that he's, he's got to get more confident in, in the striking and blending <sighs> his strikes, blending in his strikes to his takedowns. Now I agree, yeah. but like you said, you, you can't wait with him. You, you can be cleaner, but you got to, you got to get in. You can't, you can't let Johnny settle for, for any no. given amount of time. And listen, you get caught. He got he got the leg. He got the leg, and then he got caught. So it's one of those things where, what are you going to do? You know, it, next time you go out there, you you try to be a little bit um, more precise and and moving moving your opponent off the line so that they're not just sitting there. Because even if you just have the leg up, guys can. I mean, that's one of the defenses in Muay Thai. You grab my leg and try to hold my kick, punch the punch the face, then try to pull your leg out. Um, and with a guy like Johnny Walker, when he does it, sometimes he just knocks you down. Um, and well, it's almost the same another thing legend. with, uh, well, I was going to say one more thing with Johnny Walker. It's almost the same thing with Johnny Walker. When he tries to fight more clean and conventional, he doesn't do his best. I just feel like yeah. you need to be yourself, be, be yourself as plan a, you know, like yeah. Craig, you should try to grapple instantaneously and then go to plan B. You know, it's just, uh, very, very interesting things at light heavyweight with who's, and I, who's yeah. everyone's <laughs> performed, but yeah, I think being sometimes being yourself is the best game plan. And I think Paul is going to learn and realize that too, because I think you're right. I think it's go out, do what you do best first. Then when they're worried about, okay, this guy's trying to pull guard. This guy's trying to get in on me. This guy's trying to close the distance. When they worry about that, even if it was unsuccessful, they've got to defend that first, right? That's when you start. But if you go out and you act like, okay, I'm just going to strike. They're not going to worry about your takedown. But if you go out and you just, you know, Imanari roll for a leg or just pull guard or something. You know, yeah. Then they're going to be worried. But um, Glover was not the only one to hang it up uh, mm -hmm. from Team Brazil on Saturday night. Obviously, an absolute legend of the sport, pride champion, UFC champion, and just all around good dude who was one of the more savage guys that we've ever seen compete. Mauricio Shogun, who, uh, has decided to call it. This is a guy I had DVD box sets of pride championships watching this guy fight, uh, you know, the who's who of mixed martial arts royalty didn't go his way. And listen, DC made some good points on Saturday that it's almost, it's almost a rite of passage, right? When you say, I'm going to hang it up, look at Frankie Edgar, look at so many guys, they have their retirement fights. If you go out with a big win, it's hard to walk away. But if you go out and you lay it on the line and it doesn't go your way, well, that's one way to tell yourself, listen, it's time to be done. You got to do it in front of your crowd. It wasn't devastating. He got TKO'd. You could tell he got hurt. He got stifled by it and he got the, but he got to have a speech. He got to walk away from it. And um, yeah, I just, congratulations Shogun on uh, hopefully in the next chapter uh, being as successful as your fight career was. Yeah, you know, he definitely overstayed his welcome. And I can see DC's point, and it's something that I can't speak to it because I'm not there yet. But it's like, if you're the guy, if you're the fighter, if you're the man in the arena, you're never going to think like, well, I'm just going to go out here and it's my rite of passage if I lose. It's like, hell no. Yeah. If you're, you're going not, out to I win. I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, you're going out to win. I'm not going out to lose to have my last fight be a loss, especially if I'm making it known this is the last dance. 
I'm going, I'm doing everything in my power to go out on a win and just stick into my word. And I know it's hard. We've seen fighters in the past, like Joe Lozon. He got his, he got a fight at the TD garden after he told Dana, Hey, this is the last one. It's in Boston calling it after this. Then he gets a first round TK over Jonathan Pierce. He's like, ah, you know, I felt pretty good. I think I'll come back for one more. Yeah, I, I guess that's where that point comes from is sometimes the fighter needs to be reminded. This is, this is why you should be done. This is why it is the time for you to move on. And when it comes to Shogun, you know, we talk about the Mexican fighting spirit so much and look at Shogun. I mean, there is such thing as a Brazilian fighting spirit. You look at guys like Glover Teixeira, you look at guys like Shogun Hua, look at the fight Shogun had with Dan Henderson. I mean, that's about as blood and guts as a fight could possibly get that first, that first fight with Dan Henderson and all the crazy fights he had in pride. You know, the one he had against Lil Nog in the, uh, in the middleweight grand prix tournament 2005 was great but it was time and i I will always cherish and remember shogun for those amazing performances he had over the ones where he came up short in the more recent years so i hope that he has a good retirement maybe him and glover could have a little acai bowl on the beach and hang out together you know i hope those boys are living up their first days of retirement. oh god let me tell you people were eating up those acai bowls i was oh. eating up steak mashed potatoes and rice and stuff like that whenever i got a chance a and you got a nice little three mile jogging when you were a little buzzed up i heard you were going to stay committed to your to your 20 to your 30 miles before we move on because we're going to talk to bomb team <laughs> brothers next but before we move on yeah. me and chef lorio <laughs> Obviously, the fights went late. We didn't get back to the hotel till three something in the morning. We hung out. We may or may not have had a couple cocktails. Um, but it was like six forty-five in the morning, and Ian's like, "Yo, let's let's go. Let's run now." I said I wanted to run that day, no matter what. Thinking, yeah, we'll do like two in the afternoon. We'll go for a jog, sleep, sleep it off. The- nope, seven and eight, seven a.m. Had no sleep from the night before. Chug of the water and did banged out three miles. And what was uh, the yeah, pain? What was the pacing like? Seven thirty pace. That's a that's you know that's pretty good. That was rough first. for seven a.m. after a night out. I can tell you that Ian was looking at me. He's like, "Dude, my heart feels like it's going to explode." And I was like, oh "You want God. it to run right now, so I'm making sure we run." I wish for for about a, for, for about three fourths of a mile though, I went out. I think at like six forty pace to really just make him suffer to punish and, uh, to punish him. And I what punish do you do? All he does is cook you good food. Come it, on! Be nice all he did you. was cook Jamal Hill good food. That well, he did make me one meal. That I mean, amazing. Jamal I doesn't know you. I had some, but um, he does a good man, job. it was like uh, fingerling potatoes that were fried and crisped up a, in a like rice bowl with like chicken and like this sauce with peppers and stuff. Oh God! Yeah, he does a good job. That's not diet food. That's just good food. You know what I mean? That's Soul that's food, when baby is delicious. Eating healthy is clean and yeah. delicious. Uh but speaking of. Brazilian deliciousness. <laughs> the Bonfine brothers. Holy. Wow. Crap. Damn. I, I mean, one at 55 and Gabriel at 70. Ishmael and Gabriel, these boys can fight. And you know what? They both have the same skill set, but they perform just slightly different. Obviously, we see that aggressive, more kickboxing style and boxing from Ishmael and then Gabriel, just people give them their next to this guy. This guy will choke you out at the drop of a hat. He's aggressive, gets after you, makes you make a mistake often, which what happened against Munir Lazez made him make a mistake, made him shoot on him. And that was it. Wrap that neck up, roll right over into that mounted guillotine. And obviously the flying knee from Ismail 
uh, Bonfim against a very highly touted and tough as nails from what we know, uh, Terrence McKinney, and just was not his night, man. Maybe a little bit underestimated this man and paid for it badly. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think Terrence definitely overlooked um, Ishmael. I mean, he he fought a perfect game plan. He you could tell this is a kid that did his homework. Yes, uh, just countered so well. He knew if you if you corral Terrence against the fence, you take away a lot of his weapons, especially those pull counters. You take away the pull counter when you stick Terrence against the fence and you force him to go side to side, and that's what set up that beautiful flying knee. And for Gabriel, I mean, when you have that type of, I feel like when you have a good guillotine, especially one like he has. You just find ways to get people into that position to where you can catch their neck. Almost things you don't train. It's just the way you fight and the way you're able to catch that catch that submission from certain certain scenarios in a fight. I mean, sometimes some things can't be taught. They just come natural. And you want to talk about coming natural. These guys are naturally both tremendous fighters, both very well-rounded skill sets. I watched them both fight in LFA, and you just knew when you saw these guys compete, these guys are the real deal. This is the new wave of brazilian fighters coming making their way up this is the next generation and it, it looks scary i mean and especially because these guys can wrestle too there's there's mm -hmm. wrestling like we saw the wrestling on ishmael against terrence i coached terrence i'm not saying terrence went on to wrestling college and got way more skills elsewhere than from when he was under under me when he was in high school but he's a i mean he's got tremendous wrestling and for him to stifle that shows you know this kid's legit both these yeah. brothers are legit the, the future is very bright for both of these gentlemen. Yeah, it's I mean, what a debut for both these guys. They, they showed out on the Contender Series, and, and they've been on both fought, fought on LFA. So there's been a lot of talk about these two guys coming in, and you just couldn't have a cleaner debut for both of them. They both got the finishes. They both look fantastic doing it, and I'm very excited to see what the future holds for those two young men. Um, but we got to get into our non-championship non-championship well yeah we call we would call it five rounds we're gonna call it three rounds today yeah. and the first round we're gonna stop with start with the non-stoppage of this murphy andrage fight um that was a one-sided beatdown, man now i got nothing but respect for lauren murphy but at what point do your coaches or the referee for that matter say i don't think she's coming back i don't think she's coming back i don't think she's finding that uh that that shot. I don't think she's finding that um, Leon Edwards head kick. You know, Leon at least had his moments. wasn't getting beat down in that fight. There's there's certain moments where I think coaches and corners really need to think. Is the only opportunity for her to win this fight a lucky shot at this point? And in that fight, it was very clear. No disrespect, but at that point, going into round three, it, it was clear that the only way she's going to win is kind of by mistake. Yeah, that's where you have to be honest with yourself about your fighter. Um, some fighters have a Hail Mary within their arsenal. No disrespect to Lauren Murphy, but she doesn't have a Hail Mary in her arsenal. There's nothing that she's done historically throughout her career from a skill standpoint that would tell you like, hey, there's, there's, there is a chance. There is a chance that she can finish this fight. And then you look at the person you're up against. You're up against Jessica Andrade, one of the hardest punchers pound for pound across all the female weight classes. This is this is a very dangerous fighter. You know, and, and the other thing, Paul, is there's a different relationship between her and her corner. It's it's an unconventional one. And it's one that I tread lightly when I talk about this fight with because that is her husband is her chief corner. So 
does that muddy the water when it comes to a situation like this? I don't know. I it's to, I I all I know is if that was Kelsey Joe Kiesa in there fighting, I would throw the towel. You know that that that's something that's a personal thing for me in the way I look at it. But um, you know, just from an X's and O's standpoint, there was no there was no hail mary within Lauren Murphy's arsenal that would make me believe as a coach that she could pull off a win when she's down tremendously in a fight. Not tremendously when she's just down at a huge deficit in a fight, like with zero percent chance of winning. Yeah, and you got to, you know, I'm even looking over at Mick Maynard, the matchmaker and things to him. We're thinking, I'm like, man, you know, when I muted my mic at one point, I was like, she's like, just end it now. Let let her let her go recover and let her come back and have another fight. Like, let's let's focus on, you know, she's coming off a huge win. Okay, yeah, she's got to step up in competition. It didn't play out. Take take the loss. Go back to the gym. What do I need to work on? Get back in the octagon. Go get another win. But the longer you let a fighter, when it's so lopsided like that, take unnecessary damage, you're just preventing all of that. You're preventing how quick she's going to get back in the cage. You're preventing where her mental state's going to be going back into a fight. You're just messing up the momentum in general. So I the loss, the loss is going to be the same no matter what. They yeah. throw the towel or you go the distance. The loss is going to be the same no matter what. It's not going to affect who you fight next. It's going to affect when you fight next. And more than anything, for Lauren Murphy, she's she's no spring chicken. I mean, she's she's up there in age. She's got tread left on her tires, but unfortunately, leaving her in there too long takes away some of that little bit of tread that she has left. So I'm not a fan of how that fight took place. Or I'm no. not a fan of how it transpired. Not at all. I agree. But um, moving on to round two. Yeah. Speaking of fighting down in Brazil and uh, unfriendly confines, as we are going to call it so nicely, thanks to Michael Ricci here on round two. Um, let's talk some unfriendly confines that we fought in. I'll start. I know you have an interesting one, and it's not what people are going to expect. And I have that one too, but I'm going to go to another one. And this one surprised me too, because I fought in Brazil. I fought in Brasilia, Brazil against Francisco Trinaldo. And that was unfriendly, mm-hmm. but it's... Brazil, you're gonna die. They do their chant. Getting used to it at that point. Yeah. One that kind of took me by surprise because of how nice everybody was leading up to the fight was when I fought Stevie Ray in Scotland. Okay, I fought Mm -hmm. in Glasgow, and I was down there. Obviously, I think the Sunday before the week, you know, a full week before, going around. Everybody's so excited for the fight. Can't wait Mm -hmm. to see you guys fight. Obviously, I know they're going to be rooting for Stevie, Mm -hmm. but I had never heard a crowd lose their ish against me so bad and then when stevie made the walk comes out to like braveheart music or i forget what it was but it was it was insane when bruce buffer announced us from my booze to his screams i could barely hear him actually announce and we all know how loud buff is so that one kind of took me by surprise but that was when my dad had passed away recently i didn't give it who who was screaming at me in that fight was winning mm-hmm. that fight no matter what so that was my probably most uh surprising unfriendly confines yeah you were a man on fire at that point um so i can see how it didn't shake you paul you're one of the more mentally tough resilient fighters oh. that we've ever seen but uh mm-hmm. you know this one's mm-hmm. kind of a surprise for me as well i haven't fought really many places internationally i've, I've definitely fought some hometown favorite guys here in the u.s but my most hostile experience was actually in Canada, which is crazy because I love Canada. I I think that I should have dual citizenship to Canada. I love it so much. 
Uh, but I fought on Battlefield Battlefield Fight League, which you can watch on UFC Fight Pass. I fought for them a long time ago, um, like my second or third pro fight. And this card had like 25 fights on it, something ridiculous. So these fans, you know, and I've been to Canada. I've partied in Canada. I know how Canadians like to get down. So it's safe to say across that fight card, a lot of beer was, was consumed by the time I got to my fight, which was on the main card. And I fought a guy named Darcy James, really nice guy, but I ended up catching him with a Darcy choke. So I was getting heckled like really bad by the fans. And I played into it. And actually you can watch this on YouTube. I jumped up on the cage rail, gave some, you know, the international hand signal for, you know, I love you guys. Yeah. I love you guys. Flying, flexing. I was super skinny then, flexing, screaming USA, F Canada. Like a huge bicep. Look at that. Yeah. Boom, boom, the gun show, baby. Yeah, I was Reachy. up there flexing. I wish you could flex right now, Richie. <laughs> yeah, let's see the pythons, Reach. We, we need to get him in the three box. Get him in the three box. But uh yeah, I that was my I, I played into it a little bit, but that was the, my most my, my most hostile experience uh during competition. Yeah, uh real quick before I move on. I had that my debut in Canada. It's the only time I've been truly actually heckled was this one guy as I was waiting in the tunnel and they're playing oh, the no. feature and John yeah. Annick's like from Philadelphia blah 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 and they're like you're Don Felder. You suck. <laughs> and I like, you know, I, yeah. I was doing like my, you know, kind of like Muay Thai I'm thinking about. He's like, "Don't pray now. It's too late to pray now, Felder." Uh, you're about to fight Sago. <laughs> you're about to fight Jason Sago, who's a yoga instructor. He's gonna murder you. Um, it's like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Dangerous, yeah, dangerous awesome. fighter, but super nice. Yeah. Um, round three, in honor uh, of uh, you know, power slap. Uh, we're we're not gonna even get into that, right? We're gonna yeah. do something else. We're not even gonna talk about people slapping people. We're gonna yeah. talk about if you could get slapped by a sandwich. That's that we got a segue in the sandwich. Sandwich, yeah. Conor McGregor, Charles Oliveira, got to get we got it in anyway. <laughs> Sandwiches. I was just thinking, how are we gonna squeeze them into the show? <laughs> Speaking of Conor, I would get slapped by a bologna sandwich, I think. <clears throat> a bologna sandwich. Oh man, full oh, of bologna. <laughs> I Seriously, think I would get what slapped. Sa- what sandwiches? I mean, just imagine a big old sloppy bologna sandwich getting cracked across your face. Plus, I don't really eat bologna sandwiches, and I don't want to see a sandwich get wasted. Yeah, so I'm taking a bologna sandwich to the face. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't really want to waste good lunch meat. I'd probably go meatball sub and try to like get hit with the sandwich, and like as a meatball's coming by, try to like like see sneak if you out can and grab, like, grab a bite, like you know, get a little. Plus, you know, if you did like a slow-mo cam, it'd be good for aesthetics. But if we're going to do like a Charles Oliveira sandwich, I'd be like, slap me with like an open-faced Brazilian steak sandwich, you know, from like a yeah. Brazilian steakhouse or with something. With some mashed potatoes on it. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> the mashed potatoes were so good at that. restaurant. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to get acai. I was like, go eat the mashed potatoes. <laughs> unbelievable anyway oh man that's it for ufc roundup yeah. amazing 283 congratulations shogun hua congratulations uh glover Teixeira. congratulations jamal hill and brandon moreno as well for continuing your journey as champions 
We're off this weekend, I believe. And then, yeah, and then we do the fourth, and then we have the show next the week after that. And then we'll be back. Yeah. And we'll are talk. you doing the show on the fourth? No, no, I'm oh. off. I'm off for that Look one. You. Um, I'll be on the desk late night, baby. Make sure you tune in. Yeah, that's right. Because it was supposed to be down in South Korea. Yeah. So main card starts at like like 1 a.m. Eastern time. Good luck, Michael. Hey, you know what? I'll be drinking Monster Energy drinks. I'll be great. You know where I'll be? I'll be sleeping and watching it the next morning. Yeah, there you go. That's where I'll be. Anyway, that's UFT Roundup. 